Archie, where are they holding the Chancellor? No text. It's broken. Can you understand what he's saying? I'm not a protocol droid. I'm pretty sure that beep is down. I sense Count Dooku is above us. Oh, yes, 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 you're right. Beep is up. I think. Anyway, I agree. Up it is. Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another exciting episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. This is episode number 487, Revenge of the Deleted Scenes, part one. I'm, as always, one of your hosts, Jason Hunt, and with me, the Anakin Skywalker to my Chancellor Palpatine, we have Carl LeClaire. Of course. I'm so glad to be here. I don't know why I'm William Shatner instead of Anakin Skywalker, but uh, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> All is proceeding as I have foreseen. <laughs> uh, Jason, I had we had such a good time a couple months back looking at the uh, all the deleted scenes from Attack of the Clones and we were talking back then like hey, we really got, you know, we want to come back do some more of these and uh so here we are. We're, we're back doing some more. And I felt like Revenge of the Sith was the perfect movie to do next just because there's two really good deleted scenes with Mon Mothma, of course, played by Genevieve O'Reilly, who is currently playing her on the show Andor. Um, and yes. they're two really great scenes. We're going to look at one of them today. We'll we'll get to the other one next week. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it, it I loved doing that. I'm excited to to bring people with us on this other journey with it. Um, of course, when we were compiling the deleted scenes, Revenge of the Sith might possibly have some of the most deleted scenes. Like if you go on YouTube and compile everything, I mean, there's all these unused animatics and little bits and that we're mostly just using finished scenes. So we have a total of, yeah. of, um, nine scenes. Uh, and yes, there are certainly some more than, than what we're going to be talking about, but we're mostly keen in on these completed scenes that are essentially collected between the Blu-ray and DVD. Yes. Yeah. There's just so many out there and some of them are, are just like short things. And we'll talk about a few short ones. Uh, but like Carl said, there's also just entire animatic sequences, uh, like, out, there is, uh, you know, a whole bunch of animatic sequences for the duel between Anakin and Obi-Wan on, on Mustafar uh, that's out there that we will not be discussing because that is yeah. previs stuff. It's not an, it's not an actual deleted scene. It's not, uh, you know, necessarily everything that was filmed and even the stuff that was filmed, most of it wasn't finished. Uh, so we're, we're taking a bunch of the stuff that it was already finished that was slated for the movie up until later on in production. And that's what we're going to talk about. So, yep, absolutely. And just like with attack of the clones, we'll be playing those clips for you because I'm sure several of you may not have even have watched these scenes in years. And to be fair, I haven't either. This was really fun to revisit them. Um, 
So Absolutely. yeah, we'll 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 play through most of them. Most of them are pretty succinct, clear scenes. The very first one we're going to tackle is a bit of an extended thing that we may skip around a little bit in, but overall, you're going to hear the the whole clips. Um, so yeah, Jason, shall we begin our journey into the Revenge of the Sith deleted scenes? I think we should. All right. Well, our very first deleted scene, and of course, we're going to do them relatively in sequential order as they would have appeared in the movie. Um, but our first scene is titled Grievous Slaughters a Jedi and Escape from the General. Here we go. Shakti. I'm sorry, Master Kenobi. I failed. General Kenobi, we've been waiting for you, stinking general. That was a bad mistake. <coughs> a tragic ending of a gallant warrior, no doubt. Rescue Anakin, not mayhem. I look forward to adding your lightsabers to my collection. No, 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 no. This is not a good time to argue, Master. Might I recommend... Far too many of them for that. Hmm. Oh, yes, all right. Don't fire! The fuel tanks are rupturing! The slightest charge will blast us into oblivion. That's why they stopped shooting. Hurry! Seal up the bulkhead in case there's a blast! <coughs> why don't we stop there? Because there's a little bit more, but let's... This is the first big chunk of that scene, Jason. Um, yeah. Which, of course, is is Grievous uh, taking out Shock T. Um, what are your thoughts yeah. on this? Well, I, you know... It would have been nice to see uh, another Jedi featured, you know, one of the minor Jedi, you know, characters featured in in, in this sort of way. Um, and Shakti is, of course, infamous, and we'll talk about the other one uh, here shortly for having multiple death scenes filmed, um, and then also being killed in, you know, Star Wars: The Force Unleashed, mm. and then now we, you know. We're not entirely sure yet how she dies in canon, since we have the new canon, um, you know, reboot, um, not reboot, but the new canon uh, instituted. But, uh, you know, it's it's a, a, a nice scene because it, it flows very well from the Tartakovsky micro series, which uh, came out right before Revenge of the Sith. It was really cool to see. Uh, you know, her trying to save the Chancellor and then getting captured by Grievous. Um, so that was fun. And it would have been nice to see that sort of synergy between the two different products, uh, you know, back then, as far back then. Um, but I think one of the things I like most about this scene is the baseball signals between Anakin <laughs> and Obi-Wan. Yeah. Um, as, you know, you you heard there they're saying oh no 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 there's too much for that and what you don't see in the scene is that they're they're basically you know doing different gestures um anakin sort of like rubs his finger across his chin obi-wan says no 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 and then suggests you know 
a, a mustache twist. Um, and then Anakin says, there's too many for that. And then rubs his finger across his eyebrow. And, oh yes, that'll work. And that's when they simultaneously ignite their lightsabers and cut their way through the bulkhead floor and drop down into the fuel chambers below. So I think that aspect of the scene is the best because it really showcases how well the two of them are working together. The fact that they're, you know, definitely much closer and much more like brothers than master and apprentice um, that we saw back in attack of the clones. So that's the best part of this whole scene for me is that interaction between the two of them, because it is, it's near perfect. And I wish we could have gotten something like that in the movies still. I'm not sure if it would have worked if we don't have the rest of the scene, you know, having that here, but you know, having something like that, in the movie would have been really great. Mm. Um, but I, that's my thoughts on it. Yeah. Uh, the, the first thing that stands out to me is of course the music. Um, it's really cool. That it's, it, it's almost like a derivative of duel of the fates. Um, mm. and it's not a piece of music you hear anywhere else in the movie. So it's clear that John Williams scored this particular scene, which is just really cool. Um, so I just wanted to point that out first, but yeah, similar to what you were saying, the the kind of brutality of Grievous, I think, especially if memory serves, this would have probably been the first scene with Grievous in the movie rather than seeing him walking through a doorway coughing. You know, if the yeah. first scene we see of him is his brutally murdering a defenseless Jedi, it changes the way we relate to that character. It makes him scary. It makes him intimidating. Um, which, like, to your point, the Tarakoski series did a great job of that. Like, that's my favorite still to this day incarnation of Grievous is what we get in the, the Gendi series. Cause he's, he's kind of just like this phantom in the shadows who's just terrifying and can murder Jedi council members even. Um, so yeah. to get that little hint of that in this movie, I think is really, really good for his character, right? It makes him a lot more intimidating. Um, and to your point as well about the, the, the whole baseball hand signals between Anakin and Obi-Wan, which of course with an audio, you can't see this, but, um, you can certainly watch these scenes anytime you want on, on YouTube. Um, you know, it really does show that these two have a mode of communication that has transcended words. <laughs> um, I mean, they mm -hmm. can just motion to each other. They can use body language to, to communicate. Now, granted, this has come from a couple of years of fighting a war together, and it seems like their hand signals have more to do with combat than anything else. But I just, I really like that early on in the movie, it, it does give a sense that there is this this really learned intimacy between these two characters. And that's something that Matthew Stover spends a lot of time developing in the early part of his Revenge of the Sith novel is how closely these two characters have bonded. Um, and that's that's still one thing I wish we got a little bit more of early in this movie is, is that sense of bonding. And a little scene like this really shows that. Um, and then to the point of them actually doing the maneuver where they cut the floor out from under them, I mean, if you watch it, they're doing it at like kind of four speed, which to me is like a cool callback because I feel like a lot of the kind of like raiding of the invisible hand is kind of mirroring the the beginning on the Trade Federation ship in Phantom Menace, right? We see mm. these two Jedi, a master and well, in this case, a master and former apprentice, but two Jedi kind of going up against insurmountable odds and just getting the best. And 
what I love is just like Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon run into these destroyer droids with um, shield generators that they can't defeat. They use force speed to escape. Anakin and Obi-Wan in this scene, they're kind of outnumbered and outgunned. So they use force speed to cut a hole in the floor. Um, it's it's just like a yeah. really cool visual way of mirroring back to the the opening of Phantom Menace. Um, so yeah, that's that's a great point. So yeah, I, I like that, and and I do like your your uh, your analysis of how this affects Grievous as a character too, because it's true. This, this likely would have been the the first time we saw him, uh, and. And as you said, killing a Jedi Council member, a defenseless one in front of Anakin and Obi-Wan is a pretty brutal move and one that definitely would have been uh, an impactful way to introduce him as a character. So uh, I think, you know, it would have served well for that uh, if they had kept it in. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's why I still, to this day, as, as much as I love Phantom Menace, the one thing I wish we had in Phantom Menace was a scene of Darth Maul doing something brutal to just establish. Not because I want the brutality for brutality's sake. Very clear about that. But I've always thought it would be interesting to see him like run into a band of Tuscans and right, like just just something to show him as a threat. Like he he is threatening looking, but imagine if you saw him do something. You know, um, and I think that's what this scene does for Grievous. Again, it, it, it establishes that he is a monster and a killer, um, and to yeah. be and to be feared. Um, so, uh, so the scene kind of continues. I'm I'm gonna I'm skipping over some of the antics in the uh, the uh, the waterway. I mean, it's basically them just escaping. But the scene ends with some really clever and adorable banter between Anakin and Obi-Wan. So that's where we're going to pick this, this scene back up, which is, and like I said, it's essentially titled Escape from the General. So here's they, here they are pulling off their final part of the escape. The blast will break the hull. This side's pressurized. Anakin, you still have much to learn. That'll never hold. All right, I still have much to learn. Let's go. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, for those of you wondering, uh, basically, they have been crawling through an access hatch out of the fuel line. Um, and of course, since the invisible hand has been, uh, you know, in battle, there are things sparking down there and the fuel levels are rising because of reasons, um, action, dramatic reasons. Uh, and so they have to climb out of it, this access hatch, uh, and there are super battle droids pursuing them through it. Anakin seals the access hatch back closed with his lightsaber and it's like, eh, it'll hold. Nobody wants, no, it won't. And then the explosion happens and the access hatch holds, but just completely like blows out into this sort of point, um, which is really amusing to <laughs> looking. And mm-hmm. everyone's like, all right, fine, you win. And they move on. So, uh, <laughs> but yes, it's, it's pretty funny, pretty amusing. And again, this, this just continues the banter that we had at the beginning of this action sequence uh, that I, I enjoyed. So it is great. And uh, to, to see the two of them uh, still being snarky with each other like this 
Uh, and Obi-Wan going, all right, fine. You win this time. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such a... It, there, there are a couple of like little moments that I... Um, like the opening of this episode, I used a little clip that is technically a deleted scene, but it's like 12 seconds. But there's a lot of stuff early in the movie that um that was cut out that really shows the the banter and silliness uh between Anakin and Obi-Wan again further establishing this this brotherhood um that uh that they have and the thing i just really like about this moment of them standing outside this this breach hold that Anakin is right about it, to me it it was a callback and a mirror of them outside the Outlander club in attack of the clones Anakin gets chastised. Um, now, this is actually a deleted moment from that scene in Attack of the Clones, but Obi-Wan says to Anakin, you haven't learned anything. Um, and uh, and this is kind of mirroring that where Obi-Wan says, you know, you still have much to learn. Okay, I still have much to learn. Now, let's go. <laughs> um, the reason I like it is, is because it's a nice way of showcasing that their relationship has changed. Um, mm-hmm. The Anakin and Obi-Wan relationship of Attack of the Clones was master to apprentice. The strong-headed Russian to action Anakin with the the cool demeanor of, of Obi-Wan. And while those personality traits still remain the same, there's something different about Anakin. Anakin, in light of the Clone War, has really come into his own. He really has um, a clear sense of how to get things done and, and confidence in getting things done because he's seen himself do it time and time again throughout this war. Um, Mm -hmm. So even though Obi-Wan doesn't think it's going to hold, Anakin just knows that this is going to work. And I just I like how it's Obi-Wan kind of puts his hands up in the air and says, all right, you're right. I was wrong. (laughs) Um, So it's just kind of a nice way of 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 showing here now three years later, this relationship hasn't necessarily flipped, but it's become much more equal. Um, You know, yeah. uh, So I, I enjoy it for that a lot. Yeah, it definitely puts them on more. Uh, level ground and and I think you know obviously there was already a ton of stuff in this movie but I think if we had gotten a little bit of this you know put back into it I think that would have made things uh, just just that much better than what we have so yeah absolutely um, so we're going to hit one more little scene that I just, I'm not going to really play this because there's not much to play. Um, but it is definitely worth mentioning. Um, I don't technically this does come later in the movie cause it's after order 66, but poor shock T has two death scenes <laughs> that are deleted yeah. from this movie, which of course, um, so, so really quick, actually, Jason, before we go to that, when we were doing this with attack of the clones, we, we, wagered do we keep it or do we cut it for these scenes mm. um so for yeah. these two scenes combined what do you say keep it or cut it <sighs> um honestly i think this one i'd keep okay. um th- there, there's enough in this that i think would be fun and you know you don't have to have all of the the antics in the fuel um the fuel chambers, uh, you could have trimmed that slightly um, to, you know, to keep things as they were, uh, to, to, get, to keep the, the good parts at the beginning and end of this. Um, but I think overall, it would be better to keep. Mm. 
So, yeah, yeah, I think I, I think I'd go stay with you there. Um, again, trim it down in a way. Because, uh, I mean, this is, well, actually, it was the second longest Star Wars movie until um, Last Jedi. Because I always forget Attack of the Clones is actually a tiny bit longer than Revenge of the Sith. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I mean, I think through this movie, it's, uh, <laughs> I know this isn't a good answer because it's like I could go either way. I really like the thing with Grievous. I mean, I don't know why Shakti's on the Invisible Hand. I don't know how she got there. It's not really relevant. Um, all that's relevant is she was bested by Grievous. Um, and I think that's, mm-hmm. again, further evidence for him. So I think I think this does a lot for both Grievous and further establishing the silliness of Anakin and Obi-Wan. So, yeah, I guess, you know what? Keep it. But like you said, trim down some of the chase part of it. Um, and, yeah. uh, and and we make it better. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it, I think I keep it. Um, but anyway, like I said. Shakti gets killed twice in deleted scenes. Um, yes. So, of course, later in the movie, as Order 66 is declared and Anakin marches on the temple. Um, now, we don't really get much of Anakin in the temple in the movie as it stands, except for, of course, him marching in with the 501st and then the shot of him going into the council chamber with some younglings. Um, that's really it. So the deleted scene, and the reason I'm not playing it is because there's not really any dialogue except Shakti saying Skywalker, like with, as a question. And then he stabs her through the back. So she gets stabbed through the back both times. I mean, so they're consistent about how they want to kill her. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, she, she's meditating. And basically what they do is they use the same shot of her falling over from the scene where Grievous stabs her. And they just, you know, digitally put her into, this meditation area where Anakin uh, finds her. So, and then he does the stab like Grievous did and then storms out. And we, we see the shot opening up as he walks through the Jedi temple and there's clones and Jedi fighting um, and things getting, you know, explosions happening and stuff. So, yeah, Yeah, it's the thing that I, um, appreciate with the way it's kind of shot is it's very similar to a scene in the revenge of the Sith novel. Um, and I can't remember if it's shocked T or not that he kills. It might be. Um, but there is, would I it think, be, would it be syndrome? Would it be who? Syndralic? Uh, no, the, the, it, uh, he's ki- I mean, that's something like that was originally supposed to be seen on the, um, the, uh, the, the hologram. Vic, the hologram. Right. hologram. The Thank hologram. you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in the hologram of him, Kaelin Sindralig, who's, of course, played by Nick Gillard. Um, mm. But no, I'm pretty sure in the novel it is Shakti because we're told in the novel that, like, when the clones start marching on the temple, that the temple goes into lockdown and they said Shakti's in meditation trying to understand what's going on. And then Anakin yeah. walks in and kills her. So it's kind of out of the book. There's also a really brutal moment in the book where Anakin like whispers to one of the Jedi, like, um, like porters, if you will, somebody who's guarding the door and they're like, Oh, you know, master Skywalker, what's going on. And he like whispers to her to lean in and then he puts his lightsaber to her head and just ignites it. It's pretty brutal, um, in the novel. So I think this scene with Anakin killing her, it just, it just shows how off the deep end Anakin is gone, right? He's, he's diving into the fact that he is willing to kill, a defenseless council member. Um, so kind of establishing the, the real incarnation of the monster he's becoming, um, just yeah. doing something this brutal. 
Yeah, I I think that's that's definitely the point of this scene. And I think I'm of two minds about it because, you know, again, it, it's kind of nice to be able to see some more of this stuff, you know, because we didn't really see much of Anakin in, in the temple. Um, we saw, you know, kind of the worst of it uh, with the younglings, but that's about it. And uh, so it would have been kind of, I don't want to say kind of nice, but it, you know, it would have been purposeful, purposeful. Yes. That's the word. Thank you. To see more of the action inside the temple uh, to kind of give the scope of just how terrible it all is. But I, I always found it a little weird that there's a battle raging in the temple and Shakti is still meditating. Right. Yeah. Like that was always something I found a little weird and didn't quite make sense, which I think might've played into why they ended up cutting it anyways. Um, especially since, you know, he walks into the room, stabs her. And then we, the camera follows him back out and there's just battle happening yeah, outside the like door. Right outside. So, the door. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think <laughs> this is definitely one I'm totally fine with being cut. Um, you know, while it would have been nice to see some of the, you know, the purposeful to see some of the other stuff inside the temple, this one, I think, I think they tried to use the previously existing footage that they had of Shakti. And, you know, that was going to be the scene up until late in the process, obviously, because it made it into the novel. But uh, I think it, it's fine being on the cutting room floor, in my opinion. Right there with you. I, I would also cut this one. It does. It doesn't really add anything. And in so far as like showing more of Anakin, I mean, the shot with him with the younglings is all you need to establish how uh, how far off the deep end he's gone. Exactly. So our next scene is uh, kind of a pivotal scene for Anakin and Palpatine. They're meeting in Palpatine's office. It's before he appoints Anakin to the Jedi Council. Um, and the title of this deleted scene is Changes to the Constitution. Let's check it out. Yeah. This, just to note, this, sorry, I don't mean to interrupt, no, but just note, this scene is technically a uh, an extension mm. of the scene where, where Palpatine appoints Anakin to be my personal representative on the Jedi Council. So this all happens right before that scene starts. And you'll hear the, you know, I hope the first part of that scene at the very end. Right. So, yeah, here he goes. Anakin, this afternoon, the Senate is going to call on me to take direct control of the Jedi Council. The Senate is too unfocused to conduct a war. This will bring a quick end to things. I agree. But the Council may not see it that way. There are times when we must all endure adjustments to the Constitution in the name of security. With all due respect, sir, the Council is in no mood for more constitutional amendments. Thank you, my friend. But in this case, I have no choice. This war must be won. Everyone will agree on that. Anakin, I've known you since you were a small boy. I've advised you over the years. When I could. You fought many battles the Jedi Council thought were lost. And you saved my life. 
It's upsetting to me to see that the council doesn't seem to fully appreciate your talents. Don't you wonder why you've been kept off the council? My time will come when I'm older and, I suppose, wiser. Age is not a good measure of ability, Anakin. I think they see something in you they fear. They see your future, and they know your power will be too strong for them to control. They see you as a threat to their power. I've sensed that. I hope you trust me, Anakin. Of course. This is such a good scene, Jason. Um, it is. I really enjoy it. Um, just the fact that it starts with, you know, Palpatine just asserting, I'm, I'm taking over the Jedi Council. It's going to be great. <laughs> they're, yep. not, they're not focused enough to fight and win a war, so I'm just going to help do that for them. Take that off their plate. Um, and, and I like Anakin's response to it is, is as always, he, he's in agreement. Like, yeah, I agree. This, this should be what you do. Um, I mean, we even, we, we've seen all sorts of things like this with Anakin in the Clone Wars TV series. The the first thing that springs to mind is, uh, the Citadel rescue episode when they're helping Tarkin escape and Tarkin and Anakin are having this conversation about a Jedi's role in the war. And Tarkin basically says, y'all always stop short. You can't stop short in war. Um, and here you've Anakin kind of coming to the end of the war and having this conversation with Palpatine. He's in complete agreement. Like they're not getting it done. He's he trusts Palpatine. Sure. But I also mm-hmm. like that he's very aware of the tension that exists between Palpatine and the council. So Anakin kind of points out like, I don't know how they're going to feel about that, though. <laughs> you know, um, right. And. The way I kind of read Anakin there is it's actually when I first was like writing my notes down, Jason, I was like, oh, it, it's interesting that Anakin sort of kind of comes to bat for the council. But as I watched it a second time and actually just watch, listening it again right now, I don't think it's about going to bat for the council at all. I think it's more of just giving Palpatine the heads up like, uh, careful, my friend, they're going to give you a hard time, right? Like, I don't think he's necessarily going to bat for the council. He's pointing out something obvious about them. But mm-hmm. he's definitely Camp Palpatine. <laughs> yeah, he, he's, you know, he thinks the Anakin is an ends justify the means kind of guy. We've, mm. we've learned this throughout a lot of the prequels and the Clone Wars. And, you know, Palpatine is playing on that. And, of course, you know, Palpatine couches this in the Senate is going to foist these powers upon me. They're going to tell me to... uh take over the Jedi council and I don't have a choice yeah. in the matter. He, he tells Anakin that I don't have a choice. You know, Palpatine is also very clever to, to, and how to present this to Anakin. And one of the other things I noticed in this whole sequence is Palpatine really kind of plays up his age a lot with Anakin, mm. like physically. And, you know, you can't see that over the audio podcast, but if you watch the scene, which is on Disney plus, um, as well as YouTube and all this other places, but, um, he really kind of plays into the, the idea that he's old and kind of frail. And at one point during the conversation, he, you know, he stands up from behind his desk and he puts his arm on Anakin's shoulder, which is simultaneously sort of a, a fatherly gesture 
but he keeps it there for a little bit as they start to walk, almost like he's using Anakin for support. Mm. Um, so, you know, Palpatine, this is Palpatine at his manipulative finest, which is a horrible thing to say, but <laughs> you know, it's true. He's using everything in his bag right now against Anakin. And of course, this scene then flows into you know, I'm appointing you to be my personal representative on the Jedi Council. You know, I want you to be the eyes, ears, and voice of the Republic. You know, he's playing on everything that Anakin wants, starting with they, they, the Jedi Council, do not have what it takes to finish this war that we both know needs to end. Mm. You know, and and that I think, you know, it makes the scene very much, you know, a, a about twice as long if we keep all of this stuff in. Um, but it's very, very good stuff. And, you know, Palpatine is is in fine form and Anakin is being swayed, you know. Yeah. For as heroic as Anakin is, he's also got a naive streak when it comes to certain things. And this is one of them. For sure. Yeah. Um there's so much goodness in this scene. Um, and, you know, starting with Palpatine, just again, planting more and more seeds of distrust in the council. And yeah. by doing so, he's also placing mistrust between Anakin and Obi-Wan, right? Cause Obi-Wan is Obi-Wan sits on that council. Um, one, right. and one of my favorite moments in all of the clone wars is, um, Oh my gosh, I'm blanking on the episode title, but it's the end of, it's in season four, it's the end of the arc where Obi-Wan's undercover is Reiko Hardeen. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, they, they have the, the kidnapping attempt on Naboo for, for Palpatine. And when Anakin finally learns all the truth of it, he, you know, he just blows up at Obi-Wan and says, how do you even know that you know the whole truth, right? Like he, at this point, he does not trust the council at all. And now this is a little bit later, Obi-Wan's part of that. So for Palpatine to never explicitly name Obi-Wan until later, after after he's been dubbed Darth Vader, he finally names Obi-Wan as someone he needs to explicitly separate from. But right now, he's playing it smart. He's just lumping Obi-Wan in with this council that Anakin needs to distrust and remove himself from. And right, that's the that's Palpatine's endgame with Anakin in this whole movie is getting getting him away from Obi-Wan and Padme. Um, mm-hmm. Because he knows if he can break him off those relationships, Anakin is his. Um, right. And the language and the the wording that Palpatine chooses to use here is so manipulative, and the way he delivers it to Anakin is almost threatening. Not like not like he is threatening Anakin, but more like the Council is threatening you, Anakin. They want to control you. They're afraid of you because they're afraid they can't control you. And what right. a what a like powerful thing to say to somebody who was formerly enslaved you know i mean palpatine is well aware of where anakin comes from he was a a person who was controlled by another for the early decade of his life so for palpatine to choose that wording it's kind of lumping him into this traumatic past that he comes from and the way it ends like you said anakin's buying into it anakin says i've come to sense it too Right. He is he is believing the lie that Palpatine has been putting into his head for a decade now. 
Um, and I like how subtle it is. And he says it kind of with his eyes downcast, um, almost as if he doesn't want to believe it, but finally can, in the presence of Palpatine, admit that that's true because um, he feels safe yeah. with Palpatine. Yeah, and and it's it is one of those things where you can see that Palpatine has been sort of insinuating that you know being a Jedi in and of itself might be akin to being a slave. You know, especially if you're under the council, if you're under the council and under all these rules and you know structures and regulations and everything like that. He doesn't say it outright, you know, but you can kind of see where that those thoughts might have been placed. Um, and and it really is starting to really come to bear. Palpatine knows that he's running out of time with Anakin. He needs to turn Anakin now, and this is the perfect opportunity to do so. And so he's turning up the heat. And, you know, and this is definitely sort of a, a no-holds-barred attempt. You know, he's almost not even hiding it at this point. But Anakin is so far bought into Palpatine and his wisdom and the way Palpatine sees things that it doesn't seem to be manipulative to Anakin at all. It seems to, to him that Palpatine is trying to enlighten him and trying to help him. Mm. And, and that is why it's so tragic to see Anakin fall because Anakin is good natured and Palpatine is taking advantage of that. Absolutely. Um, well, the last scene that we're going to look at today well, first, yeah, keep or cut. Oh, oh, yeah, definitely keep. Yeah, For me, I, I, I'm with. Yeah, I keep it in. You know, even just, just again, the simplicity of more scenes between Anakin and Palpatine are always a good thing because we, we only get we get one in Attack of the Clones, and we really only get one of them intimately together before he becomes Vader. Once and it's a very short one, so I think a scene like this to me is worth keeping, um, because and it, even like in the scene how when Anakin's like you know like, don't you wonder why they won't make you on the council when I'm older, <laughs> wiser like he kind of like laughs a little bit like there's actually like a a sense of silliness that Anakin has around Palpatine that I think is important for us to see. Um, so yeah, it shows I, how comfortable he is with Palpatine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so I keep it. I, I keep it because it. it it's just further in flushing the relationship between these two characters. That's so important. Yeah. How about you? And just, uh, I, I personally would keep it too. Um, but of course, just to refresh everyone's minds, this is something that came out in the early two thousands. And if you had a movie that was, you know, pushing two hours, that was almost a big no, no. Like you, you didn't really want to have movies that went over two hours. Uh, you know, or at least too far over two hours. And if you had two and a half hours, that was just, you know, flat out too long. Like nobody sat in a movie theater for two and a half hours. I mean, come on <laughs> uh, until Lord of the Rings started coming around. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but that was at the same time. So, you know, they had to, they trimmed a lot, you know, specifically for time purposes. And part of that is just, due to when the movie was made. And I think if they made these movies again now, some of these would probably be longer. Mm. Ta- uh, Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith in particular would probably be longer yeah. than what we have now. So, Yeah, I think you're right. Um, so 
our last scene for, for that we're going to look at this week um, is a scene with, of course, Genevieve O'Reilly as Mon Mothma, as well as a few other senators who are gathering in um, a Bail Organa's apartment to start talking about what's going on in the Senate. And the name of this deleted scene is quite ap- aptly put is a stirring in the Senate. Now that he has control of the Jedi Council, the Chancellor has appointed governors to oversee all star systems in the Republic. When did this happen? Oh, that decree was posted this morning. Do you think he'll dismantle the Senate? Why bother? As a practical matter, the Senate no longer exists. The Constitution is in shreds. Amendment after amendment. We cannot let a thousand years of democracy disappear without a fight. What are you suggesting? Suggesting? I I apologize. I don't mean to sound like a separatist. We are not separatists trying to leave the Republic. We are loyalists trying to preserve democracy in the Republic. I can't believe it has come to this. Chancellor Palpatine is one of my oldest advisors. He served as my ambassador when I was queen. Senator, I fear you underestimate the amount of corruption that has taken hold in the Senate. The Chancellor has played the Senate as well. They know where the power lies, and they will do whatever it takes to share in it. And we cannot continue debating about this any longer. We have decided to do what we can to stop it. Senator Mon Mothma and I are putting together an organization... Say no more, Senator, I understand. At this point, some things are better left unsaid. Agreed. And so we will not discuss this with anyone without everyone in this group agreeing. That means those closest to you, even family. No one can be told. Agreed. What do you think of this one, Jason? Oh, this is so good. Um, One thing that jumped out to me in light of Andor uh, that I want to make sure I hit before we, we discuss the rest of the scene as a whole, is that that point by Mon Mothma at the end where no one else can be told, not even family. It makes me wonder, you know, exactly how much Mon Mothma has had to keep from her family, her husband and her, her daughter that we, we see in Andor, and how long she's been keeping stuff from them and how much of a toll that is and going to end up playing uh, in, you know, on her um, because of it. So yeah, that's, that's just a, one of those things where I think, I think the writers watched this scene um, when, uh, when they were writing some of her stuff in Andor. So I think that's important to note. And, you know, a lot of the stuff, is referenced in other materials. So these scenes happened. Uh, Mm. They just weren't in the movie. So, um, but yeah, I think overall it's a really great scene and one that I, you know, I like seeing, you know, Bale and Mon Mothma and Padme in particular, you know, uh, hashing things out and, and Bale and Mon Mothma both being very aggressive towards it and someone who sympathizes with their plight uh, but still doesn't like to 
the fact that they have to come to this point in Padme and getting that perspective on it all is really interesting to to see. Um, but still able to to keep her her sharp political wits about her by saying, "Yeah, some things are better left unsaid at this point." So um, it's it's a good scene, and of course, it all ends with Padme having to agree to keep all of this from Anakin. And uh, you can tell she's, you know, it pains her to do that, but she's going to to follow that guidance. So. Yeah, this, this scene is chock full of good stuff. Um, and, you know, we've talked about this several times, but of course all of these scenes and some of the other formation of the rebellion scenes, uh, one of which we'll look at again next week with another deleted scene, but these are all in the revenge of the Sith novel and they're even more mm-hmm. expounded upon in the book. So if these are parts of the story you enjoy and you want more of them and you've not read the revenge of the Sith novel, get on it. So Jason, now basically yeah. I am just a proselytizer of that book. <laughs> um, that is my I, truest calling in life is to just get everyone to, to read and appreciate that revenge of the Sith novel by Matthew Stover. <laughs> um, it's very, very good. And there's, it is. there's no way around it. It's, it's the, it is the superior star Wars novelization. It really is. Um, but to that end, in this scene, there is a, there's a lot going on. And the first thing that kind of grabs my attention is um, Bale and Mon kind of distinguishing what their movement is from the separatist movement. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I mean, Jimmy Smith is just so good in this scene. I mean, he's such a good actor. He's like, well, he's suggesting, oh, I'm not suggesting anything. <laughs> right? Like, like, whoa, hey, oh, hey, I'm not doing that. Right. Um, and making it very clear, I am not a separatist. And then Mon Mothma clarifies what they're all about. We are loyalists, loyal to the democracy of the republic. And that is what is being subverted. Right. Um, I don't know the names of the other senators. I know they're in the book. Um, I don't remember. I know one uh, is like the, the one and... that the one with the gravelly beard and the bushy or the gravelly voice and the bushy beard is Fang Czar. That, okay. Um, I only remember that because that name has always stuck out to me. Um, you know, and I always thought yeah, he looked more like a hobo than a senator. Um, <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, but somebody makes a comment about how the the constitution is basically in shreds at this point. And again, in, in that previous deleted scene we looked at, I mean, Palpatine basically says sometimes the constitution has to be played with in order to keep people safe. Um, you know, pulling out from the direct story itself. I mean, George was very adamant that the story of the prequels is a tragedy and it's a, it's a story about a Republic becoming a fascist state becoming an empire. This is the story of Rome. This is the story of Nazi Germany um, and again, George isn't writing in a vacuum. This is all shortly after the Patriot Act, after the September 11th attacks, um, where the Constitution was being <laughs> dealt with kind of willy nilly um, in the name of safety and protection. So just it's it's a it's a it's a red flag of like, be careful when you have these sacred texts that are so important to your way of being your way of governing to just be able to throw them out whenever is convenient is problematic. It's dangerous because we've seen what happens when that happens in the past. Look at Rome. Look at Germany. Um, right. Like these are very explicit examples of that. Um, so for Mon to kind of uh, clarify, we're loyalists. 
We love the Republic. We're not the separatists. The separatists just want to say, end it. It's it's garbage. Start something new, right? Like, we don't like this. We're going to just go make our own thing. She's like, no, 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 no. We love where the Republic came from. We love the democracy that founded this institution. We're fighting for that. So it's fixing it from within rather than abandoning. I think that's, I like that she kind of clarifies that from what the separatist movement is all about. Um, yeah, which is very interesting, of course, to where she ends up, you know? Yeah, so that's a great point, Jason. Yeah, I mean, um, well, and although I would argue that even in Andor and what she's doing with the early rebellion, she's trying to reclaim the democracy of the Republic. Um, and that was something mm-hmm. very real in like the, the legend stories, right? Like old legends canon, Mon Motha being chief of state and then Leia being chief of state. It's all about trying to reestablish what they lost. Um, right. So I think that's consistent to Mon's character. So for Mon to step away from the state, which eventually she will do. I mean, we, we essentially get the culmination of that in rebels um, when they go to rescue her. Um, she doesn't recognize the empire as the Republic anymore. It's, it is a foreign body that has, that has tried to destroy what she believes in. Correct. Yeah, no, I I agree that the, you know, the sentiment and the, the, what she holds fast to uh, hasn't really changed, but it is an interesting dichotomy that how she is resisting ends up changing for sure. Yeah. Um, so, and I think we're going to have to see, you know, we're definitely seeing how she makes that transition, uh, in rebels because she's not personally, you know, advocating for any of this stuff, but she, it does appear that she's helping to finance, you know, some of these rebel groups. So that's, uh, uh, we're seeing the beginning stages of it and we're going to, you know, the implication is that we're going to see what pushes her to the edge and makes her actually break yeah. from the empire. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the, the last, the last couple things I was going to just mention is Mon also points out that, you know, well, it, it, when we learn about the governors, right, that's what governor Tarkin's going mm. to become, right? The, the, yeah. Palpatine is now appointed these, this, these new figureheads that have essentially made senators superfluous. Um, yep. You know, and, and Mon recognizes that like our role is essentially useless at this point. Palpatine's just over overstepping us with his governors. Um, it's a figurehead. At yeah. This point. Yeah. And, and she also points out, though, that there are several senators that are just falling in step with Palpatine because they understand that nobody's going to stand up to him. He's the one with all the power. Might as well get in good with him while you can. And. I think this is a very timely message. <laughs> um, there, there's a lot of that going on in our own political system that when people come to power, people just kind of their moral compass goes out the window because they want to maintain power and, and they kind of bow down to the people with it, which is very problematic. Um, so I like that even in this movie, and it's, this is not this is not specific to our times, it's not specific to old times. It's a recurring thing. Um, but it's, yes. it's pointing out that when people like Palpatine, people like Hitler, people like Julius Caesar take power. They they eat it all up and people essentially just start groveling at them because they want to maintain the little bits of power that they have. Um, we see yeah, this the status. They, yeah. they want to maintain the status and the high living and the the sort of public persona of, of where they are and what they have, uh, whether or not they actually hold any real sway 
right in the direction of the state anymore doesn't matter they want the status and the appearance of power more than the actual power itself for sure absolutely and i love how mon is quick to point that out (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and uh yeah and then the last point which is of course something you hit on the scene ends with now padme has to keep a secret from anakin um, she and yeah. Anakin have kept a secret from everyone in their world with what they share, but now she is going to have to keep a secret from him. Anakin is probably the most honest. Well, with her, he is the most honest person, right? Like he just says it like it is. He's transparent yeah. as hell. I mean, it, <laughs> he's the only one you probably really have to be worried about <laughs> spilling the beans um, about right. their relationship. But here you have Padme having to swallow this pill of like, wow, this is something I can't tell Anakin. Um, and, and you can just see the way Natalie plays it. And if you watch the scene, you know, there's, this is like, Ooh, this is hard. This is going to be really hard. Um, and that's something I'm excited for, for next week. Cause we're going to look at a couple more scenes that really start to flesh out what that secret could possibly bloom into. Um, yeah. cause Palpatine is going to seize on to that. Um. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> no, there's some good stuff coming up and, and I'm going to just jump in right here. I, I have said for years that these scenes should be back in the movie. Mm. Like, so I keep this no doubt whatsoever. Like this is one that I would put back in the movie 100%. Like if, if there were just a few scenes I had to put back in, it would be yeah. this political subplot that we're going yeah. to get, you know, we're, we've got the, the first of the, there's essentially three scenes uh, that deal with a lot of this. Um, and this is the first of them. Um, and 100% would I put those three scenes back in the movie. If we only got a few, those would be the three because it needs to be done uh, for Padme and just also for the, the formation of what ends up becoming the Rebel Alliance in the future. So, uh, one hundred percent, I would put this back in. No questions. Yeah, I'm with you. And of all the deleted scenes we're going to talk to over the next two weeks, if if we could only have two or three of them, it would be all three of these politics scenes. They're not the most exciting, but they're really important to all the things you just said, Jason. One, it is yeah. it is something for Padme to do in this movie because she her her character really does suffer a bit with what she's mm-hmm. given on screen. But also to your point as well, that it's so important to see the early seeds of rebellion. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, the fact that these scenes have all been shot, you said this earlier, which I 100% think is great that you pointed out, Jason, that these were scenes that were shot that have clearly been revisited by several creatives um, and now explicitly so in Andor. Um, It's very clear that the relationship of Mon Mothma to Bale, and I'm I'm sure we'll see Bale at some point in Andor. Yeah. Um, Even if it's not till season two, but we will see Bale. Um, And yeah, uh, yeah, I mean, I think these scenes are just so important for that, for that regard. Absolutely. And especially since Bale showed up in Kenobi, like, yeah, he's, he's, he's going to be in Andor. The question is whether or not we see an older Leia or not. Um, mm. <laughs> so uh, I, I think Bale's a, Bale is a given in my opinion. Um, but the question is whether or not Leia shows up in any form. So uh, just depends on when, <laughs> when we see those, those scenes with the Alderanian Senator, whoever that is at the time. So, yeah. Yeah. 
But sure. anyway, that's uh, that's all we're going to talk about this week. We're going to finish up the rest of these deleted scenes next week. And Carl, I'm looking forward to it. There's some good stuff coming up. There really, really is. Um, and actually, one th- real quick, because I don't want to forget to say this, and I almost did, Jason. Um, the music in this scene, this final deleted mm-hmm. scene we looked at, it's the exact same music that is playing when Anakin and Obi-Wan are having their tense scene after Anakin's been appointed to the council, but not as a master. That really tense music on the strings is being played also in this scene. Um, which, so again, like whether that was just put in afterwards because they're like, well, we'll put it in as a placeholder to fill out the scene or whether John Williams explicitly also wrote it for the scene. If that's the case, this music isn't just about Anakin and Obi-Wan, but it's actually, it's scenes of mistrust and, and plotting and intention. Um, so mm-hmm. I love that that music gets used in this particular scene. Yeah. And it's, it's possible that that scene could have been cut in right after the oh, scene yeah. between Anakin and Obi-Wan. That's so um, true. So true. It Either that or right before Anakin goes back to Padme's apartment and they're there out on the balcony because she's in that same costume. So, yeah. you know, you know, it's, yep. it's one of those. So I'd have to go back and, and take a look at the movie, but it's going to be right in there somewhere and it could be either of those areas. So, um, yeah, it, it, that's, that's something to consider because it is, uh, Ooh. you know, to the movie, it, it might, Ooh. it, it very well might be right after, that scene with Anakin and Obi-Wan, because if the music is carrying over, um, yeah, it might just be like, all right, we, we talk with them and then we just pan across Coruscant to Bale's office, um, where they're talking about what has just happened to the Jedi council. Yeah. And if, if, if this scene comes before that scene with her and Anakin, where they have their kind of awkward conversation on the couch and then it ends with her, hold me while you did the lakes with Naboo. Mm-hmm. It could be right, like she kind of brings up Anakin, you know, like what if the democracy thought we thought we were serving no longer exists, right? Like she's yeah. really thinking about that now in light of this. And what if maybe even in that moment, even though she promised to not say anything, what if she actually was tempted to be like, I really want to tell Anakin, I tell him everything. But then his reaction to just her insinuation is so heated and upset that she's like, nope, can't tell this guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that has to be it. It's, it's got to be between those two scenes somewhere, yeah. you know, it, where it was going to be cut in. So um, I'd have to go back and really look at it to see where precisely it might have been. But, I, I, you know, it would have been between those. And, and that's, you know, that's a great storytelling to, to have her thinking about this meeting when talking with Anakin about that. And, uh you know, that temptation of, do I say anything? Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go, folks. There is the first half of our look at the revenge of the Sith deleted scenes. Um, as always, we'd love to hear your feedback. What are some of the deleted scenes you enjoy? What, but what about these scenes specifically? Would you keep them? Would you cut them? You tell us. Exactly. There, there's all sorts of good stuff in here, uh, but not everybody thinks these scenes are as important as we do. So, uh, you know, I think, Carl, we're three out of four of these that we would keep. Yes. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> yep. we'll, we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, we'll see where, where next week goes. But uh, 
yeah. So far, Revenge of the Sith is already getting longer if we were in the editing room. <laughs> <laughs> oh, trust me. I would be cutting out a lot of this movie. Don't, don't you worry to make that stuff fit. <laughs> All of Kashyyyk, gone. <laughs> don't need it. Uh, oh, man. Well, Carl, if people want to weigh in on anything uh, that we talked about this episode or anything else on their mind, Star Wars related, where can people get in contact with us? Uh, well, we are over on the gram, Instagram at Wampas Lair. You can also follow us on Twitter at Wampas Lair. And you can always email us at Wampas Lair Podcast at gmail.com. Excellent. Anything else before we close down this episode? No, Jason. I got no secrets from you. You sure? You sure about that? I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out next week. <laughs> um, thank you, everyone, so much for listening to this episode of the Wampus Lair Podcast. This has been episode number 487, Revenge of the Deleted Scenes, part one. For Carl, I'm Jason, and we'll see you next time here in the Wampus Lair. <laughs>